Hi, and welcome back to Seen and Heard. This is Allison Tristo, the community field rep at Western United Dairies. Uh, today, we are going to bring on Anya Radabaugh, uh, the CEO of Western United. Uh, she is going to summarize the meeting that she went to earlier this month, the producer review board meeting, as well as give us an update on Landflex. So let's jump into that. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. Our dairy markets were on the defense a, a, a bit again this week. We saw in particular some rather large declines in the cheese market. Barrels lost 16.5 cents down to 192.50 and block cheddar cheese lost 9 and 3 quarter cents down to 196. Reports point to a little bit lighter demand uh, impacting those markets at the time when we're seeing supplies come up just a bit. First quarter class 3 contracts uh, kind of crumbled after the spot market declines down to 1922, down 38 cents. So still at a high level historically, um, but definitely off from the highs of a few months ago. We lost a little bit in butter as well, down six cents, to, but still at 314, so very high price. Nonfat actually gained a penny here on Friday to close the week out at 143. We did get a cold storage report this week. It was a little bit mixed. Cheese inventories were drawn down a little bit more aggressively than historically for month to month but we are still up 12 million pounds year over year. So still plenty of cheese and in inventories. Butter stocks uh, were down about 18% year over year. So still running a little light there, though still plenty in uh, inventories despite all the news reports uh, suggesting a shortage for the winter. We did get New Zealand milk production for the month of September. They were down again, 3.2%. Contacts suggest unfavorable weather and labor issues weighed on output for that month, um, but expectations are that output can improve a bit in the months ahead. The peak of their season is yet to come still here in December and January, so all eyes will be on how they finish out the year. We will see another dairy uh, auction out of Oceana next week, the GDT event on Tuesday. That market has been under pressure as well for the last few weeks um, with lighter demand out of China in particular. Please reach out with any questions. tired of hearing that the main way to save water is fallowing? Are you tired of seeing articles about how alfalfa and corn waste water? At Common Good Water, we combine the best-in-class subsurface drip system and precision crop management services, including pest control. Our verification program qualifies for public funding, and we want to help you continue farming in California. 
Contact your groundwater sustainability agency and ask how you can work with Common Good Water. Visit commongoodwater.com. So today we have on Anya Radabaugh. How are you doing today, Anya? I'm fantastic for Friday. We'll get through it. Yeah. So we brought you on to give us a little bit of a recap about the producer review board meeting, uh, as well as talk about Landflex and give us an update on that. So do you want to start with the producer review board? I believe it was October 3rd, correct? Yes. Yeah, I can definitely start with that one. Um, they won't, it won't nearly be as sexy as the land flex conversation. So, um, but yeah, the PRV meeting was um, a little spicy. Uh, they've been getting spicier and spicier. Uh, I will put out there before I forget, there are nominations open right now to serve on the PRB. So if you have uh, a farmer in your family or you are a farmer that is actively interested in the direction of quota, uh, you can certainly reach out to either Allison or on the Western website. We have the PRB nomination forms. They are due by Monday, October 31st, back to CDFA. So if you are interested, please make sure you put your hand up and serve. Um, there were quite a few uh, director's positions open at this particular PRB meeting, and there was at least one very, very close vote. So um, depending on your point of view, you definitely might want to stay engaged with quota. But I think generally speaking, uh, there was a great deal of discussion about the fact that uh, dairy production numbers and quota assessments, which are based on pounds of solid non-fat, um, they have been fluctuating pretty wildly the last couple of years due to the pandemic impacts. And what has happened, um, mostly how based on how components are paid out, coupled with some de degradations, uh, so if you will, uh, indulge me producers out there that don't know much about quota, um, you have to have grade A uh, registered milk to be paid on your quota. And uh, during the pandemic and the subsequent supply chain reactions, we did have, I think, a bit more degradations to grade B than uh, is normal. And so what happened in that moment, along with how components are paid, is the quota balance essentially started to go up pretty high. So CDFA is sitting on a sum of uh, north of $17 million uh, that they do not necessarily need to pay out the assessment. So this was a major topic of conversation amongst the producer members on the PRB, what to do with it, how to ratchet it back down. CDFA did remind everyone in the audience and on the board that there is a scheduled assessment reduction uh, that's going to take place uh, next month, actually, and go until March, right in time for the spring flush, and it will change again. Um, and at that point, the PRB will uh, need to decide what to do with that uh, excess balance. And so the reduction in the assessment is, the plan is to hopefully reduce the over-collection uh, down to a more manageable level. CDFA likes to keep about uh, $2 million in there as an overage amount, just to balance for things that happen. So um, again, we really encourage farmers to get engaged with PRB. Uh, we're at every meeting. So if you want us to carry messages for you on your behalf, um, obviously every member of the board, depending on, doesn't matter where they were from, we're very concerned about holding on to excess farmer money when that wasn't uh, needed. 
So that reduction in the assessment is coming for a six month period, and then it will go back up to uh, 42, uh, excuse me, yeah, point, uh, 42 cents uh, per, per hundred weight. So it's going to drop down to about 37 cents. And then after six months, it will go back up to 42. So yeah, a lot of spice over that conversation. Mm -hmm. CDFA, um, I'm just trying to hit the biggest buckets because um, it was almost a three hour meeting, oh, wow. which uh, CDFA doesn't usually serve lunch, which if they are listening right now, it's a very bad idea because people get hangry. So um, it would be a good suggestion to CDFA to at least provide some snacks. Um, I can certainly bring some chocolate milk next time, but generally the next large topic of conversation they had a really big job this last time was to look at the parameters around a mandatory five-year survey that the quota program is now required to undergo. So for those of you listening who are not familiar with the quota implementation plan that was developed in 2017 in response to the industry going into an FMMO in 2018, uh, Secretary Ross inserted her desire now that this is under the marketing administration uh, as opposed to milk pooling, uh, that this plan have a mandatory five-year review, just like all the other marketing programs do. So um, this is, you know, kind of under the hood, but even CMAB, uh, CDRF, uh, I mean, all the checkoffs that you can think of are required to undergo a five-year survey. The survey depends on what's going on at the time, but essentially it asks farmers if they're happy with their checkoff if there's improvements that need to be made with their checkoff, et cetera. And since quota um, is anything but universally agreed on, um, the secretary has taken this, this piece of the survey very, very uh, seriously. And so CDFA offered some opportunities to the farmers on the board for their feedback. How, do, how should the survey look? What kinds of questions do you want the survey to have? We know listening that the way questions are framed very much um, depend on the outcome and the answer. Mm -hmm. And so, because there wasn't a lot of agreement on what the survey should look like and who should be in charge of writing it, uh, basically CDFA has decided to hold a public Zoom call uh, in the next few weeks, asking everybody in the industry to join the Zoom and offer their suggestions about how the survey should be conducted. Most likely the survey will be um, given a, a contract to an outside third-party contractor. So there's an RFP process that CDFA uses for all these types of things. Um, and the outside third-party contractor will essentially take the information that producers give them to try to help develop the survey. Um, but the PRB will meet finally by themselves to discuss the results of the public producer Zoom meeting. Um, and make some final determinations, uh, hopefully in the spring, on how this survey is to look, because in 2023, it is scheduled to run at some point, as that is five years uh, from the time of implementation. So that was, uh, those are the two big buckets that they covered, and then we finally get to the third uh, big piece of the, of the PRB meeting, which was the discussion about what constitutes a hardship um, in the past, Farmers who had challenges selling their quota, maybe there was a death in the family, or there was a partnership that dissolved, usually messily, um, they would approach the PRB about either relinquishing some of their payment into quota and getting some of it paid out, 
or maybe being released from their quota obligation. There's a number of hardships that just in my seven years with the industry, I witnessed, of course, this is pre-FMMO, that were pretty benign. You know, somebody had passed away and uh, the PRB usually would listen to each case and decide if there was merit to it. Right now, the way the law is written under the quota implementation program, the PRB members have a wide swath of subjectivity on what they can constitute a hardship or not. There's not any real rules around what the hardship is. It's almost entirely subjective to the, the PRB board. And I'll remind everyone that the PRB board is a quasi-public body. They are not allowed to talk about these decisions either before or after the meeting. Um, any number more than two um, is a violation of the Brown Act. So we can hopefully eliminate any conspiracy theories that may be going on behind the scenes. They're not allowed to talk to each other about any of this stuff. So the hardship case that was presented before the PRB <clears throat> was a gentleman who was stipulating that he was going broke. Um, feed costs are really high. This is a very familiar situation for most farmers right now. But he stipulated that because CDFA was collecting more of his money than they needed to administer the quota program, that she should be entitled to that over collection during the period that it was over the $2 million. That's the premise of the case. Um, the gentleman recused himself uh, from further conversation, which I appreciated, uh, where the PRB essentially debated the merits of the, of the hardship claim. Um, it didn't get ugly. Everybody comported themselves very politely, kindly um, as neighbors. But ultimately, the decision was to deny the hardship. But this is where I mentioned the <clears throat> close vote. Um, it was only denied 6-4 with one abstention. So these are things for people to consider on the whole and the representation of the PRB. Um, almost half the board felt that the hardship should have been a hardship, whereas the other half of the board thought that would essentially open up uh, the door to a lot of people claiming hardships. So anyways, I, I thought it was a very good debate. I think it's something that needs to be had, but what will happen in the next eight to 10 weeks is CDFA will be holding a PRB session just to talk about what merits a hardship and what doesn't so that the boundaries that the board has to work with are a lot less subjective. Um, and that's probably pretty appropriate considering the tensions around quota. Um, we can't just have a hardship case lobbed across their desks for just anything, uh, but those boundaries are not defined well in the law right now. So it was a decision to really work hard to define them in the future. And I think that that's a, a healthy conversation. Got it. Sounds like a good recap of the meeting. Sounds like an interesting meeting. Um, They're all interesting. <laughs> yeah. So on to Landflex, you and Aubrey Benacourt have been working really hard on it. Um, do you have an update on Landflex, uh, any dates? Uh, or yeah. any good information on that? Yeah, so we had a, um, a kitchen table meeting on Landflex last week in Tulare. We're going to have many more in the future and we will definitely be having a, you know, anybody that wants to join industry-wide Zoom call on this next week, 
Um, but right now, uh, DWR is hopeful that we can open applications up for Landflex on November 4th, which is a week from today, Friday. Um, the applications will be open to anyone, and we can certainly recap about what Landflex is, since maybe a lot of people aren't as familiar with it as you and I are, Allison. Mm -hmm. We tend to have our noses buried and stuff like this. So uh, to recap, uh, Landflex is not a following program. Landflex is a sustainable yield program. And what it does is it pays farmers to essentially protect domestic wells uh, in and around their area. They will follow crops as a result of it, but they will also sell the state their overdraft, i.e. transitional credits. So the price per acre is fairly substantial, but they are selling their bank accounts to the state in this moment. The agreement will be for one year, the land, the acre that's enrolled will be paid on the ET that is saved. So if you're growing like winter wheat and corn, your ET is going to be somewhere around 3.5 acre feet per acre. You would be paid $450 for that acre foot. Um, so multiply that by three and a half. Uh, you will be paid $1,000 per acre foot for your overdraft credit. That is the lifetime of the credit. So even after the contract is over, farmers need to really evaluate this for themselves. Whether it will work for your business or not is entirely up to them. Uh, but that Landflex credit is essentially the purchasing of the overdraft for the lifetime of that property. And then the third piece of the payment is called a transition payment. It would be $2,500 for per acre uh, for a dairy farmer to buy transitional feed like holes, citrus pulp and peel um, or whatever fits into his portfolio. And for almonds, vines, or just any permanent crops, the transition piece will be $3,000 an acre. If you have a row crop that's not associated with the dairy, you'd be paid $250 an acre. So depending on what you're willing to enroll in Landflex, and we can talk about some of the limitations and guardrails on it in just a second, mm -hmm. um, it's a substantial amount of money per acre. But the trade-off is huge. And I need to be much more clear about that. Um, we always knew we were buying overdraft, but the state really wants it gone. They want it all now and they're willing to pay you for it. So there's some different conversations around that even as we speak, but generally speaking, some guardrails that people need to be aware of. There is an AGI, adjusted gross income cap of $2.5 million average over three years. If you exceed that, you cannot enroll in Landflex and that's per entity and no one entity will get paid more than $2.5 million. So those are things that people need to balance in their consideration of this program. Got it. Um, is there anything else you wanna update the members on um, that's going on in the dairy industry or anything else about Landflex that you'd like to uh, talk about? Yeah, so we have had some challenges with portal communication. Um, Western has a Landflex portal. Uh, it will be open on Monday with frequently asked questions. And then of course, instructions on how to apply for Landflex will be available to anyone. Um, and then uh, thereafter, the um, applications will open on Friday. I don't exactly know what time of the day yet. 
So keep watching the portal, keep watching our updates. We'll make sure that we get that information out to people. Um, this is a big deal. It's been something that I think our members have been extremely patient with me on, which I thank them for. My board has been incredibly patient. The amount of time that has spent on developing this program, uh, it's, it, it's pretty much been all my time the last few months, Allison knows. Yeah. Um, a lot of my staff have been getting second fiddle to Landfex, but it's finally here. And um, I'm just gonna say up front, it's a lot, it's not perfect. This first pilot program is really going to kind of test baseline metrics of whether or not this is a proper incentive for people. Um, is it competitive? Obviously feed prices are out of control right now. Um, it's a really tough year to think about this, but every situation um, that a basin has an allocation, uh, basically a, a cap on how much water can be pumped in the future, those transitional credits are sliding some fast, some slow down to zero. And so as your own business, as a farmer looks at this program, those are the calculations that I think everyone's going to have to make, um, whether or not this makes financial sense for them. It's not going to work for everyone. Uh, we tried to design a program that would help the most people um, and do the most good, but it certainly does not mean it's something for everybody. Um, we're hoping that it's just a tool in the Sigma basket to try to help us survive. Um, I know there are a lot of really, really healthy following programs that have been proposed and some of them have been implemented across the Central Valley. <clears throat> and this is not meant to compete with any of that. And so I think that that was a takeaway that I had last week. This is why I'm reframing it. It is not a following program because it's literally something completely different from everything else that's ever been proposed. But um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things riding on whether or not <clears throat> dairy in particular <clears throat> can lower its water consumption and essentially work better in the areas that don't have surface water. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to give people tools to choose from so that they can essentially not go out of business. Um, and so that's, I'm really passionate about it because I also think that as a community, putting a little less pressure on the aquifers is something that we should be doing. Um, it's also something that, you know, we get a lot of bad press for if we, um, if we just continue the status quo. So um, that is why the emphasis in this program is in some of the most severely overdrafted regions of the state and in and around domestic wells. Those are the priority areas. So, but this program is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this program is an allocation, which means that it's already been authorized for next year. So we're really working to show excellent results this first round because we're already negotiating for the right budget figure for next year. And I think that if feed prices weren't so astronomical, um, we'd be in a really good ballpark and the program would be oversubscribed overnight. I still think it's going to be oversubscribed overnight. Um, we have immediately $50 million to spend on this. Um, and not everyone who applies will be awarded. There'll be a priority system, a ranking system. So basically the closer you are to domestic well or wells, the more priority your application will be given. The more ET you can provide in your application, the more priority your application will be given, right? How do we save the most water next to the most wells as possible is the priority of the state. 
So uh, my partner, Aubrey Betancourt, has been phenomenal. You guys got to know her really well last year. Um, but bringing in that kind of talent, someone who used to run the state FSA, I mean, the way we've been able to co-design the program is, is, is pretty, I'm excited about it. I don't want to, you know, brag too much, but <laughs> we've tried to think of almost everything. And um, our farmer team, I cannot say enough thanks to Frank Mendonca, Steve Mancivo, and Tom Barcelos. They have been absolutely leading lights in this space to help us balance what DWR wanted versus what a farmer needs to survive. Um, and it's been a push-pull. So they've, they, their, their help, their feedback, their constant availability in helping us write this program has been so helpful. So I think that a lot of people, I hope, will see the benefit and see the benefit from the farmer point of view. I have a question. So the original amount that they're giving to hand out is 50 million. If all goes well with that 50 million, is there a set amount for the next round that uh, we'll be able to go out? Yes. So DWR has an additional 203 million for 2022 that they may make available if we demonstrate good quality demand. Um, if people are giving us a bunch of janky alfalfa that's like 15 years old, that, that is not gonna not going to move that needle. I think you can read the between the lines with that statement. But um, I think you and I both know that the, the quality demand is there. Yeah. So um, I just had to kind of prove concept. That's really what it was about. Um, bureaucrats are funny how they work their budget. They just they really want to make sure that, um, again, the proofing concept is there. Um, but uh, and there's a lot of competing interests for drought funds right now. So I also think that DWR is soliciting on that 200 million for even like, are there other grant projects out there that maybe we didn't think of, right? Mm -hmm. This all started because DWR asked the ag community for ideas last year when, you know, Shasta was almost a Deadpool, um, excuse me, Oroville was almost a Deadpool. There were, and, and that still remains the case today. She, DWR was kind of out of ideas. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so they just said, does anybody have an idea? And Aubrey and I put our hands up. Yeah. And again, it started, uh, you know, it started like preschool blocks. We were like, okay, well, how about a fouling program around domestic wells? And it evolved from there into something that became a much bigger beast that included Sigma compliance. And that is when the price per acre matched what we were giving up, right? The criticism has been, well, you're out competing other following programs. Other following programs are $1,000 an acre, for example. Um, but you're never buying the overdraft in that case. You're only temporarily following for a period of time, saving the ET, which is all good. That all has to happen. But um, it wasn't enough to give DWR confidence that we weren't going to end up back in this situation during the next drought. So buying down the overdraft has been um, a bigger priority for them in the last few weeks. Got it. A lot of good information. Um, is there anything else you would like to state before we wrap this up? No, I th thank you. I think you're doing a great job with the podcast. Um, Thanks. Had some big shoes to fill. I love the uh, the new electric guitar, guitar <laughs> jingle. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, there are also, just before I, I go, um, I guess this is board nomination season. So in addition to the PRB nominations, the California Cattle Council is also looking for nominations to serve on their board. The California Beef Council is also looking for nominations. And the Western United Dairies Board is also looking for new board members. Um, if you're interested, we, as you can tell, spend a lot of time on Sacramento, Sacramento politics. If you have beef with how the organization's handled itself on politics, I think you're the right person for the job. Um, if you want to know more about how we handle uh, that side of the business, I think you're the right person for the job. Uh, we spend a little bit less time these days focusing on milk price policy, but we have a wonderful economist, Tiffany Lamadola, um, who will help you at any point in the day when you need that information. But uh, yeah, I, we're also really, really going to put the heat on quite a few of our members because we want you guys to run. We need fresh faces on our board. We're about to do a, a decade-long turnover here. We're sadly losing a lot of our senior board members. They've just served their terms. Um, and so it's always my pleasure to bring in a whole new crop of people, uh, learn what makes them tick, and build a really good policy like you just started to see in Landflex. It takes, takes a while. But um, mm -hmm. I can only do it with the favor of, of our members and with the patience of our members. Alrighty. Well, thank you for coming on, Anya, and updating everyone on all this good information. It's really exciting to hear about the land flex stuff going on. Thanks for having me. Pacific Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your PG&E account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com agsafety. Remember, signs keep you safe. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Um, if you want to subscribe, you'll get some notifications when new episodes come out. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to myself or Anya. Uh, my email is allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at wudairies.com. And Anya's email is anja at wudairies.com. Thank you to the Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, the Morning Star Company, Holt of California, Farm Credit Alliance, PG&E, Arata, Swingle, Van Egmond and Goodwin Law Offices, Yosemite Farm Credit, F&R Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, California Dairy Magazine, Bennett Environmental, and Common Good Water. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. 
While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our guests, please note that the opinions expressed in the Seen and Heard podcast may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors or our sponsors. If you would like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com.